So today, I'm super pumped up. We are going to be talking about probably one of my favorite parables. I'm going to talk to you about the parable of the prodigal son. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. By the way, uh, this is our sixth parable. There's 40 parables. And uh, how many of y'all think that we ought to do another series next year for at least six more? Yes? All right. Well, you guys said it. We're, we're going to do it. I, I really have enjoyed teaching this one. Uh, so speaking of the prodigal son, I want to talk just for a moment about boys. Funny things that boys say. I've just got a couple things. By the way, you can always send me funny stuff. Info at churchthekingcom Here we go. Joshua, age six. I love this. Here's what Joshua said to his dad. Dad... I love you, but I really love your iPad too. Thank you, Joshua. Here goes Sam. Two more. Sam, age five. I love this. He identified his dad's assignment in his family. He said, Dad, this is five-year-old. He said, Daddy, your job around the house, it's simple, to kill spiders. All right, last one. Jared, age seven, very sophisticated young man. Dad, I put your, this is so funny. Dad, I put your phone in the airplane mode, but it didn't fly well. Come on now, Jared. Isn't that good? That was good. How many of y'all love boys? Come on, let's give it up for all the boys. Yeah. I think I like this parable because, quite honestly, I lived it. And uh, for those of you that know my story, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents preached to me. I know this is not proper English preached at me. And made me go to church, by the way. There was no option of whether or not I was going to go to church as a kid. I remember one time making an announcement to my mom that I wasn't going to church anymore. I was 16, and she goes, that's fine. You're not going to eat. You're not going to get lunch money. And so, I mean, you know, I went to church. And, and, and so my parents, maybe they were good Christians. I was brought up in church, but I didn't have a relationship with God. Matter of fact, I'll never forget... I was probably a junior in high school, and I remember having a conflict with my parents, and and I remember just saying this statement out loud. I remember saying, it's okay for you, but I I remember saying this, I'm going to live life the way I want to live life. I'll never forget walking away from that, thinking to myself, boy, that was a big statement. When I was in college, still wasn't a Christian, began college, And I went through a series of moments, matter of fact, two crisis, literally moments over about a two or three month period of time. And it was during that time, this, these two girls invited me to a Bible study. It was a college Bible study. Matter of fact, the, uh, one of the girls, her son goes to our Baton Rouge campus and is one of our great leaders in our, our college ministry up there. And, and these two girls invited me to a Bible study, and, I, and it was, I'll never forget two thoughts that went through my mind. Number one, I'd sinned too much. God couldn't forgive me. Or number two, I thought I had to change first and then come to God. How many are grateful that you don't have to change first, then come to God? You come to God, and he changes you. This may sound hokey to you guys, but I'll never forget giving my heart to Christ. The next day, waking up, and literally, I say this all the time, the sky was bluer and the grass was greener. And I never forget my parents. Now remember, my parents prayed for me for many, many years. You ever prayed for somebody for like a long time and they finally, like God answers 
you know, your prayers and they come to God. And I'll never forget my parents going like, so you did what? I, I received Christ last night. And, 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 and they were so overwhelmed. And I remember them saying this statement, welcome, welcome home. I wonder how many times we in our minds think that God is mad at us and the reality is he's waiting for us. Luke chapter 15 was a powerful, it's a very powerful chapter in the Bible. Matter of fact, I I encourage you to read it. Uh, it, Actually, in that chapter, there are three parables, not one, but three parables. By the way, about lost things. Jesus had a reputation at this point in his ministry, and his reputation was, is, is that people loved him. Matter of fact, he would hang out, lost people would come around him, and he taught a parable about, watch this, a lost sheep, all in Luke 15. I encourage you to read it sometime this week. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. What's interesting is the lost sheep, the lost sheep knew it was lost and it wanted to be found. The lost coin was lost, watch this, and didn't know it was lost. You ever had a conversation with somebody and they're just totally clueless to this whole thing about Christ and Christianity? And maybe that's where you were. I know that's where I was before I came to Christ. And it's like, like what? And you're talking about cross, the resurrection. Like that, that doesn't even make sense. And, and, and they actually will pause in a moment in the conversation and say this, this statement. Hey, that's great for you, but that's not for me. They're lost, but they don't know they're lost. And then Jesus talks about the parable of the lost son. The son was lost and didn't want to be found until he was broken. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 15. I want to talk to you about the parable of the prodigal son. And in this parable, there's a son who is entitled. He is prideful. He becomes bitter in his life. And he's entitled and it leads him to a place of decisions, critical decisions in life. Luke chapter 15, what does Jesus teach us about prodigals? What does Jesus teach us about prodigals? Number one, entitlement and pride blinds us of our need for God and it leaves us empty. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and 12, three principal characters. Number one, a father. Number two, a younger son, and number three, which is going to become very important at the end of the parable, an older son. Three principal characters. Number one, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me. Can everybody say those two words with me? Father, say it. Give me. That's going to be very important. Give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. The younger son in this story, I think his name is probably Jimmy. You say, why, Pastor? Because he obviously said, Give me, Gimme, my name is Jimmy. Okay, I'm making that up, but it's probably, it could be Jimmy. And Jimmy noticed what he said. He said, give me. There's a big problem with this statement. You know what the problem is? The problem is, is that he was demanding from his father to have his share of his inheritance. The problem was his dad was still alive. Can you imagine if your son or if your daughter came up to you 
and demanded from you the share of whatever inheritance you may have for your child. Think about that just for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 1 teaches us a principle of how inheritance were given out. Interestingly enough, the older child... So if you had two children, this man actually had two sons, the older would get a double portion. So the younger son was to get one third, which means the older son was actually to get two thirds. And the younger son comes to his father and he actually demands from his father to, quote, get his share. Think of the amazing love of the father. This whole parable is a picture of the amazing love of a father. We don't know why it is that the younger son was so, let me say this, insistent in his heart to get what was in his mind rightfully his, but it was prematurely given. Maybe something happened in his life where he felt like life wasn't fair. Maybe... He knew in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that his brother was going to get two-thirds and he was going to get one-third. And he didn't want to have anything to do with the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to live in an unfair house. This is unfair. Maybe his older brother was looking on when his dad gave him his share. Maybe he was bitter towards his brother because his brother was getting double portion. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but whatever reason, Jimmy... Gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, was blinded to his father's amazing love. It's interesting how this boy had this concept where he couldn't see the love of his father. Well, his father was not, his earthly father was not perfect. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting in any way that his father was perfect. By the way, no human father is perfect. No, no human parent is perfect. How, how many of y'all remember that you thought your parents were so, so wrong until you had kids? Come on, parents. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'll even go a step further. How many of y'all have said to your kids... The same thing that your parents said to you. Come on, raise your hand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember, I remember walking away one day. I thought, that's exactly what my dad said to me. The fact is, there is no perfect earthly parents. You know what happens oftentimes is that, is that we project on God maybe an imperfection that we see in a parent. Isn't that right? Maybe a parent, again, because we're not perfect, a parent, there's a shortcoming, there's something that a parent does, and so we think, you know, if God's anything like that, I don't like God either, all the while not realizing that God is the perfect parent. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful. God is consistent. God is always showing up. And maybe you didn't have a dad that showed up at a game. God always shows up. God, and, but what happens is, is that we often transfer our picture of an earthly parent onto a, our heavenly parent, and we think that God is like our earth. Now, let me, let me say this. We ought to model as best as we can what God may look like to our kids, even though we're imperfect. So that our kid can go, if God's anything like my dad or mom, you know, he'll, he'll be there for me. So I'm, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't, but we often fall short. I don't know what was wrong with that kid, but that kid judged his dad and, by the way, judged God. And there was a bitterness in his heart. 
And he demanded from his dad, give me. Everybody say it, say it, give me. By the way, you know what entitlement does? Entitlement always focuses on rights and forgets responsibilities. Isn't that interesting? We see that in our kids. We see that in the workplace today, don't we? Employers, employees, we see that among everybody. Again, it's not that rights aren't important, but we often don't balance out our rights with our responsibilities. If our focus is just on our rights, we'll end up as a victim. But if our focus is on what is my responsibility in this? This boy wanted what was going to be his, but he wanted it now. Luke chapter 15, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and while living, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who went, who sent him to fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He took the money and he went to a foreign country and he went wild, riotous living. He went wild, partying, going crazy. It didn't last long though. His money didn't last long. Pleasure didn't last long. I mean, it was fun while it lasted. By the way, do you know the Bible actually says that sin is pleasurable for a season? Now, what sin doesn't tell you is it doesn't tell you long-term consequences. Sin allows you to have fun for the night, but it doesn't remind you of what's coming in the morning. See, that's what sin does. It goes all the way back to the garden. Eat the tree. It's good, but it doesn't tell you what's going to happen, that you're going to be naked and ashamed tomorrow. That's what sin does. And, and this boy, oh man, he was having fun. The lights were pumping. The music was happening. But, but then when he woke up, he realized he had spent all of his inheritance. And now he finds himself in a very precarious situation. I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the story of Johnny Cash. Uh, uh, the Johnny Cash. Those of you that are, of course, I, I'm only 54. I, only. Come on, somebody. You saw how I said that? Those of you that are younger, you don't know. How many of y'all know Johnny Cash, the man in what? Say it. Like, hey, let me tell you. Johnny Cash, let me say this. You may not know this. He grew up in church. His mama brought him to church. His dad wasn't really a church-going guy, but his, his mom was. He was, he, was on, he was sitting on the church pew every Sunday. He was in Sunday school. He knew the word of God. But, but, but Johnny was talented. And Johnny began to sing, and people took notice of it, and secular promoters took notice of it, and and he'd play that guitar, he'd sing that song, and of course, he began to get popular, and he started singing outside of church, and he got famous, and and he got real rich, and and he went into a crazy lifestyle, and he began, he went into drug addiction, and alcohol abuse, and an immoral lifestyle, and you know what Johnny said? Johnny said this statement, quote, When he was on, sometimes in his farthest out state of mind. Here's what he said. He said, it doesn't matter where I was. He said, I would still hear that soft, still voice from God. Johnny, I'm your God. I'm still here. I'm still waiting. And I still love you. 
How many are grateful that God is waiting for us to come back? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you, I mean, you just went for it, right? (laughs) And you've come to a point like Johnny, like this prodigal son. You know, Blaise Pascal, he, he said something. He's a French philosopher. He talked about the emptiness in the heart of man. Let me read a quote that this is such a powerful quote. He said this, he said, we try to in vain fill this emptiness with everything around us. You ever been there before? There's an emptiness. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it this way. Watch this. He says, eternity has been set into the heart of man. I'll say it this way. St. Augustine said it this way. He says, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. There is a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of every human being. And you can't take temporal things to meet an eternal need. We try and we try and we try, but it only leads to further emptiness. The things that we desire most, the love, the joy, the peace, loving relationship with God, loving relationships with others. When we don't do it God's way, when we choose to take life into our own hands and do life by our own terms, it doesn't end up well. God's love and joy and peace His forgiveness, just like Johnny said, are waiting for us. (laughs) Number two, a new day begins when we come to our senses. Look at Luke chapter 15. I'm just going verse by verse through this parable. By the way, parables, parables of Jesus are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. By the way, this is the longest of all the parables. The parable of the prodigal son. When he came to his senses, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He started remembering. When you start getting down to the bottom, you start remembering. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. All sin is relational sin. Just remember that. Ultimately, it is. Against God, against others, and even against yourself. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me. Everybody say, make me. Do you see the shift? Did you see the shift? Give me, I want. Make me. Shift of heart. He's having a shift of heart. He's going from entitlement to humility. Wow. Make me like one of your hired servants. This young man hit rock bottom. He's beginning to see the error of his ways. Why is it, pastor, that sometimes people have to get to the bottom of the barrel before they wake up? I I don't know. I don't think it has to be that way. What would be ideal is somebody receives Christ as a young child. They know the word of God. They live for God. It doesn't mean that life is painful. Trust me. But, but does somebody have to straighten? No, I don't think so. But oftentimes we make poor choices. And pain is a great equal. Let me tell you. Pain is an equal opportunity exploiter. What do I mean by that? Pain we all experience. And when we experience pain, it gets our attention. C.S. Lewis called pain the megaphone to the world. In other words, two reasons why people change. 
tribulation or revelation. Let me say it this way, truth or pain. And sometimes we got to experience enough pain to wake up and hear the truth. And the Bible says that this young man, he was out there and he was, he was, he was living with the pigs. He was, he was eating what the pigs were eating. And he began to wake up. He began to realize something. Wait a minute. My, my father, the people that work for my dad have it better off than me. And they're not even sons. So, some of you guys may not know this. I actually, my mom's from New Orleans, but, but I was actually born in Des Moines, Iowa. And I, I don't admit that publicly. No, I'm just joking. I shouldn't say that. I just, but, but here's what's interesting. And it's, it's, it's a great state. But, but what, this is true. One third of all of the pigs in America are in the state of Iowa. Isn't that crazy? The whole state smells. <laughs> Matter of fact, I remember as a kid, and we, we moved here when I was real young. My mom moved back home is what it was. But, but I remember as a kid, you could actually smell a pig farm before you would see it. And I'm going to tell you, pig farms, they make a paper mill smell like a rose garden. And I, I really mean that. It's just like, they're just, it's just like smell. It's just like it sticks to you. And what, what, what's so ironic about this story is the, let me tell you something. The number one thing that a Jewish person should never do is hang out with pigs. They were deemed unclean. And here it is. That boy was in the forbidden because he had chosen to go his own way. Pastor Steve, do I, do I have to come to the end of my own devices before I turn to God? Yeah, I think we have to realize. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that appears right. That's our culture. It appears right. It feels good. It feels good. It seems right, but is it right? Everything that feels good is not right. There's a way that appears to be right. It looks right, it feels right, but it's not right. But in the end, it leads to what? Everybody say it. Unfortunately, today, there are some who believe you can have a relationship with God and still just do whatever you want to do. There's no change. There's no repentance. I prayed a little prayer. Prayer is great, but prayer is the not end. Prayer is just the beginning. This is biblically coming to your senses and turning is actually called repentance. Let me tell you what repentance is. It begins with a prayer, but it goes way beyond a prayer. It actually is, it's a prayer that then invites the power of God into your life, which then brings transformation and change. Repentance means you're actually going one way and you turn. Everybody say turn. He turned. He was in the pig pen and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, he recognizes his need for change. It's change. It's where I am, what I've become, what I'm doing. It's got to change. That's what happened here. By the way, Johnny Cash, towards the end of his life, he came back to God, he came to his senses. He remembered the truth of what he learned on a church pew in the gospel, the goodness of God. And he ended his life, man, his relationship with God was solid, began to sing for Jesus again. How many of y'all grateful for God's restoration? Come on, how many of y'all grateful for that? Number three, God welcomes us back home with open arms. 
Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, wow, a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed his boy, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Remember this, all sin is relational sin. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I love that picture. When we come back to God, God clothes us in his robe of righteousness. He puts that family ring, that family identity, you belong to me. And he gives us new shoes of purpose. You don't live wandering around anymore, but there's a purpose. There's an intentionality to your life. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. Why? For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. What the son was expecting, oh, what the son was expecting was something different than this. The son started walking back. He was rehearsing in his mind. I'm going to take it if dad tells me that you shouldn't have done this. I'm going to take it if dad even says, well, I told you so. I'm going to get. And all of a sudden, as the sun comes over the horizon, can I tell you something? The son saw his dad running to him. How many people in the world won't come to God because they think that God is mad at them? Let me tell you, I want everybody to hear me. God's not mad. God is not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. God's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to heal you. I want you to see. Why is this the longest parable? Because this is the picture of the gospel. That the moment we turn, everybody say turn. The moment we recognize our sin, the moment we recognize that we've gone our own way, that moment, and we turn back towards God, God starts running towards us. You got to see that. And, and, and that boy comes and, and, and he's got his whole rehearsing. Here, here it is. He, verse, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me. Give, he went from give me to make me. And, and make me just like one of your servants. And the father stopped him. Cut him off. Stop all that. Why is that? He put his robe on him. Put a ring. Put shoes Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Why? My son is home. I wonder how many people that are hearing me right now, maybe you're watching online, TV, who knows, and you think, and you think that God is going to shame you and mock you. That's not, that's not the picture that I see right here. What do you think Jesus, pastor, is telling us in this? I'll tell you what I think he's telling us. I think he's saying, I'm waiting and I'm watching. I'm waiting and I'm watching. I think he's saying, I know everything about you. I know all the sins you committed and I know all the sins committed against you. I know every time you've been hurt. I know every time you've hurt someone. But I believe he's saying, I'm not going to judge you if you'll just turn back to me. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. I'm waiting to put my arms around you and robe you and put a ring on your hand and put shoes on your feet. I'm waiting to have a welcome home party. Everybody say welcome home. That's what God's waiting. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but, but that's the picture that God gives us in the Bible of what he wants to do in your life. Oh, by the way, there's three characters in the story. There's the father, there's a younger son, but there's also an older son. Let me, read, let, me, let me read the older son's response, and then we'll close. Here it is. The older brother, Luke chapter 15. So the dad and the son are hugging. Please don't miss this. This is the most, this is, we often lose sight of the fact. It's really not just the parable of the prodigal son. It's really, in my opinion, the parable of the prodigal sons. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. Your brother, the servant said, your brother's home. This is amazing. Do you remember when mom and dad were were crying as your brother left? Do you remember that day, the pain in mom's heart? Do you remember the pain in dad's heart? I got good news. Your brother... Your, your brother is home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he is, he's back safe and he's sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. What? Why? Oh man, is this exposing the brother's heart? He became angry. So his father went out And pleaded with the older brother to come in. Have you ever seen this before? This is so powerful. Listen for the lesson. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice, not my brother, but this son of yours. When the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you've killed the fatted calf for him, my son, the father said, my son, you you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, not just my son, but your brother, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Do, do, do Do you guys remember when I said... It was the pride and the entitlement of the younger one and the bitterness that demanded, that demanded his inheritance. He demanded it now, and he left. What would it be in the heart of the older brother to respond this way? Anger? Maybe pride in him? Maybe entitlement in his heart. In other, words, in other words, I think what Jesus is teaching all of these people is this, is there's actually two prodigal sons. There's one who left the house, but there's another who was lost in the house. He had proximity to the father, but he didn't have intimacy with him. He had ritual, but he didn't have relationship. How could you respond that way? 
When somebody is transformed and, and, and we see testimonies of, of baptisms and, and people's lives being transformed. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus 40 years. Well, it's about time. No, no. We should celebrate every time someone that's dead is brought back to life by the power of the gospel. And they're transformed by Christ. So the way I see it is there's actually two lost sons. One in the house. And one that left the house. The one in the house had proximity, but no intimacy. He had rituals. He went through the motions. He went to Sabbath. He went to church. But he didn't have a relationship with God. Yeah, he didn't have the relationship. Maybe that's where you are. I say this very respectfully as your pastor. Maybe you've gone to church for years, but you've truly never been born again. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never recognized your need. Maybe you've been moral on the outside. You've made good choices, but yet you've never recognized your sin condition that you are lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Or maybe you're like the other brother. It's real obvious to everybody else. It's been real obvious to you. You've made poor choices and the whole world has seen it. Either way, God's looking for a relationship. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Holy Spirit, I sense your presence right now. You are here. You love us. I want to talk to everybody that's listening to me right now. Whatever location you're at, those that are watching online, those that are watching on TV, in the jails, in the prisons right now. God has you here right now for this moment. God loves you. God's not mad at you. God wants a relationship with you. That's what this whole thing's about. It's not about form. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship first. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? Have you ever recognized your need? Sometimes we can easily see our need because our lives are broken. But sometimes when we kind of have our life together on the outside, we don't recognize our need. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We need to know that. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Whether you're in the house or outside the house, our sin has separated us from God. I can't save you, friends. Church of the King can't save you. I tell you again, his name is Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. It's the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. It's, it's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of decision to recognize your need for God and to confess Jesus as Lord. With everybody said, bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure I'm ready to stand before God. I need my sin forgiven. I want to surrender my heart to Christ. If that's you, all across our campuses, those that are watching online, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. The count of three. I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. You need prayer. That's you. One, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high so I can see I'm going to pray. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you up top. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, my friend. God bless you up top. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you. God brought you here. Anybody else? Pastor Steve, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. Wow. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Church family, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ. Can we do that right now? This is the most important prayer they'll ever pray. Let's pray this together. Everybody say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a savior. Say this, say, Jesus, 
I repent of my sin. I let go of my past and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say this, say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this, say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God take a root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an amazing message. Hey, listen, we wanna talk to those of you right now who are making the decision to give your lives to Jesus. Maybe like the prodigal son in today's parable, you've come to the end of yourself and you are making the decision to come home to your father. We just wanna say congratulations. We believe that this is the best decision you could ever make. And we know that the moment you turn back to God, he welcomes you in with open arms. Yes, and what is so incredible is that you are made new today. The past is in the past and you are free and forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. You don't have to listen to the lie that says that the past is what defines you. That is not who you are anymore. You are a new person in Christ. And hey, we as your church family would be so honored to be able to walk with you in this new journey of following Jesus. We'd love to equip you with some practical tools and and help you kind of understand what that really looks like. And so if you let us know you're making that decision today, you can text the word decision to the number 822-822, or you can click the link on the screen or in the chat right now. We would love to hear from you. Yes, and next weekend, we have Easter services at Church of the King. This is my favorite time of year, so you're not gonna wanna miss it. You can go to churchoftheking.com for service times and locations, and we will see you next week.